All right, greetings, okay sewers or okay soloists, okay sotologists. I don't know. I gotta, I gotta figure that out. Welcome to the third episode of my effort to totally reformulate how podcasts are recorded by people who bought a microphone and have no real credential beyond that. I'm Jeff Wallenitz, and thanks for joining me as we explore the advertising, media, and tech landscapes most interesting human beings that also happen to be available and are willing to talk to me for about a half an hour or so, give or take. Special thanks to PJ Harvey for playing us in here. That song is called Sheila and a Gig, for those of you that didn't recognize it. And it is, based on a Facebook status that I posted a while back, the song that most reminds today's guest of her freshman year in college. Who is today's guest? It's Andrea Ching, CMO of OpenSlate. OpenSlate's mission is to use the data on social media to contextualize the value of content to brands and advertisers. Andrea took some time to talk to me not only about that, but about growing up Ohio, why live theater matters, and how the time she spent at both Ogilvy and at Turner helped shape her career. Remember, if you find this even remotely interesting or more likely you're related to me, please take the time to follow us on Twitter at Podcast So. Also of note, we'll be doing one of these live at Ad Monsters in Nashville on November 6th. So stay tuned for more details on that. Okay, everyone. Um, so welcome first to my guest, Andrea Ching. So exciting to have you here. Um, Andrea and I uh, know each other from Turner is where we first met many, many moons ago back in the uh, in the early days of Turner Digital, although we didn't call it that back then. Yeah, we, we had, had a lot of incarnations. A lot of different initialisms, acronyms, yes. t said, 10M, etc. Who can even count? <laughs> who can even count all the way back? So the way that I've typically started these in the past was to say... Um, these three where questions, mm-hmm. right? But I'm, I think I'm, you know, news to the listeners here, all, you know, hundred or so of you, um, <laughs> that I'm sort of going to ditch that format. Okay. I kind of want to like have the conversation go a little more organically, but I do want to start with the, uh, you know, where are you from yeah. conversation? Because I find that insanely interesting, no matter who I talk to. So let's talk about, let's start from the beginning. Okay. So where did it all in begin? In the beginning, it began in Steubenville, Ohio. Note that I didn't say Stupidville, which is what many people think I say. Uh, Stupidville, it's a town of about 18,000 people on the Ohio River. It is a uh, former steel town, and it's about 40 miles outside of Pittsburgh. So would you argue, and I don't even know how or why I know this or have this in my head, but would you argue that Steubenville is most famous for being the home of Dean Martin? Uh, well, yes, that that would have been the answer, right? Um, <laughs> up until maybe five years ago, I would say... Most people to whom I say Steubenville now, they have a reaction because it was a rape case that played out in social media involving a high school football team. And so I now feel a kinship with the people of Fukushima and Three Mile Island and uh, you know, many other places who, where their hometown is known for a very terrible thing. But I would, we do have famous residents. So yes, Dean Martin. Um, I, how do you know that? I don't it is know the birthplace of Dean Martin. Jimmy the Greek, I'm making air quotes here, Snyder. Um, <laughs> of people who watch sports in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and then Tracy Lords, um, known as Born Nay Norma Kuzma, also uh, passed wow. through Steubenville. That is quite so a trio. It's a lot. It yeah. is a lot. That is a heavy... The burden of that legacy, it's, I think, is very, massive. very heavy. And can I also just say, Jeff, like, not a lot of Asians. There are not <laughs> a lot of Asians. Right. And especially not a lot of, like, half, like, I'm half Chinese, like, and dad Chinese. And even now, like, it's much more common to find the Asian woman and the white guy. Yeah. So, like, that was, yeah, like, so that was a little different. not a lot of Asians. Yeah. Not a lot of Asian white... dudes with the great white prize. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
That is one way to put it. That's one way to put it. One, one, I think one, the best way. Let's yeah. just, let's call it what it is. It's the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, so what was that like growing up there? I mean, that's not, I mean, so when you were growing up there, I'm guessing Steel Town time was essentially over. Yes. So the town had to sort of, I guess, reinvent itself in some yes. capacity. Yes, so there were, there were still mill jobs, but things were definitely on a downturn. Um, yeah, it was uh, a little nuts. Um, it's just, I have never been to any place else like it in the world. Um, I still go back. My parents still live there, so I'm there a few times a year. Um, what your, what'd your folks do? So my dad's doctor and my mom's a nurse. That's how they met. Oh, that's cute. Right? Like, yeah, like, super <laughs> cute. Yeah. Um, so my dad came here from the Philippines to do his medical residency um, in Cleveland. My mom grew up in rural Kentucky and got a scholarship to nursing school there. And so that's how he met Dr. Nurse. Wow. Um, and then he got a job in Ohio. He's a gastroenterologist. So I, I've known a lot about gut health my entire life. <laughs> you and my wife can have a long conversation <laughs> about gut health. Very good. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I was nuts. Um, you know, like, my mom would take me around town when I was little, because she's, like, you know, blonde lady, and they'd be like, oh, she adopted one of them orphans from Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. I look so a that, lot more like, Asian than I do now when I was a kid. And um, so, but th- people were that out there yeah. about something like that. I yeah. mean, I guess in a town that's 90, what, plus percent white, let's say. Yeah, no, there's a fair, pretty large African-American population, but there, there are more Asians now, you know, again, they tended to be like, you know, like the Asians were all the doctors in town, mm. you know, so yeah, there was totally. that sort of thing, you know, um, and yeah, I eventually had another Asian girl in my class, <laughs> Tina Chinnacorn, we duped it out for like spelling bee, right? Yeah, totally, Science like, fair. who's the A, who's the type A top exactly. Asian in this class? which yes. Asian will reign supreme. Right on. So, but you actually, and so, you... Had, I'm assuming sort of a fairly normal suburban upbringing, but were your parents, because what I know of you is, you know, sort of, I mean, sort of quintessential New Yorker, you know, sort of super liberal, all those things. So like, what was, how did, what was your evolution around that? Like, how'd you get, how'd you get from Steubenville, Ohio to Brown, I guess, <laughs> which is the next step, yes, right? Yes, right. So uh, a, a crucial thing, um, I went to boarding school, so mm. I went to a boarding school in Pittsburgh, and that changed the entire trajectory of my life. Um, I just met different people, was exposed to amazing teachers, um, and just sort of broader horizons mm. than I had kind of immediately around me. Um, I mean, my parents both came very, very far from where they grew up, you know, um, my mom's the first one to have any sort of secondary education, and you know, like, so they came a huge way uh, in their lives, and I've gone a shorter distance in my life, but still a distance, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, but yeah, I think it was, uh, going to boarding school, um, kind of changed everything. Can you think of one, like, formative teacher that you had? One that you kind of carried with you all this time? Boy, I don't know if there is just one. I think, like, gosh, uh, music teachers, art teachers, English teachers, I loved all my English teachers. They actually had this thing where, like, you could be student members of the faculty, and so I was a student faculty member for the English department and got, like... And I just, I've always loved So this is a fairly progressive boarding school, yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I definitely showed up like a fish out of water. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like really something, you know. Um, I got there and like, I had, you know, it was the 80s. I had like the, the, the you know, the claw hair, like the big hair. I had, you know, acid wash jeans and all that. Of course. And I, mean, I got to school, all the girls blew their hair straight. And they didn't carry backpacks, Jeff. 
They carried their bags. They carried their books in straw bags. Oh come on! And I was like, "What? It's <laughs> over. I'm never." <laughs> what world have here. I landed yes, in? Yes, it was really like, "Whoo!" Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I mean, I just uh, it was really pretty. I liked uh, reading all the books, and you know, that was it was just cool. Yeah, and so from there to Brown. Yeah, and Brown straight to New York. <clears throat> Uh, so I did a little detour. Um, I spent some time working in London. So I spent my junior year at Oxford, mm-hmm. and I had fallen. In oh, love. that's amazing! I yeah, had fallen in love. Uh, so I was like, I'm gonna go back to England and work. And then, surprisingly, like I don't know, you know, like a lot of people don't get married to the the dudes they meet on their junior year abroad. That's a little surprising, it's but a, we'll go. Let's roll shocking. with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll so take like, your premise. Yeah, exactly. That that didn't work out. So then I came back, um, and I lived in Ohio a little bit, and I was like, ugh. Um, and I thought I wanted to work in uh, publishing or advertising, but the publishing job I got paid uh, $19,000 a year. Uh, and I'm not independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got a job as an assistant um, at Ogilvy. Uh, in 1997, um, and that was enough to pay rent. Amazing. And the rest was history. Yeah, I tell stories like that all the time. When I first started at Turner, there were a couple of different options available. This was sort of late 98. Yeah. Um, and it was sales assistant, I think was $21,000 a year, and traffic coordinator, mm. which I took, was twenty like $24,000 a year. that's like material. Like, yes. I, I mean, especially in a world where when you have two paychecks a month and each one is eight hundred dollars, yes. more than one is going toward whatever yes. rent you were paying. Yes. Even back then, yes. um, even back then, it was not easy to yeah. live here financially. We used to. There was a guy who, um, named Sean Bean who worked with us as a sales assistant, and he used to say that like he had to change jobs because Russian immigrants were starting to apply <laughs> because that's how little money he made. <laughs> that, that like they. They thought that was a great salary. Yes. Um, and that's sort of what it was like to work here. It's sort of, to some extent, still um, yes. is what it's like to break into this industry. Totally. Right? Yeah. Um, so started as an assistant as Ogle- at Ogilvy, and yes. that's sort of where you had all this phenomenal exposure across these great yes. accounts, right? Yeah, totally. Um, you know. So I where'd was, you start? Who'd you start with? Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was uh, the assistant to the woman who's now head of digital investment at Group M. Oh, wow. Um, so, but, you know, I got to, you know, I worked with some phenomenal women um, who are still in this industry, Susan Sheikoffer and Karen Antuzzi, um, very... I really can't think of uh, better people to learn from. And I got to work on huge pieces of business, like, you know, so IBM and Ameritrade and got to, you know, work on Dove. I mean, it was just, there was no better place to learn. And so they mentored you along as you kind of went through the organization. Totally, yes. Amazing. But I spent a long time there. Like it, almost 12 years. I would suggest, yeah, I mean, we, we, I know what that's like. Yeah. So we, but you, it, even then, in let's say, this was what, sort of the late 90s, early yeah, 2000s as yeah. you were kind of coming up, I mean, even then it was sort of rare and unique to have strong female personalities in an office yes. like that, right? Yes, That totally. you could look up to. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, I feel extremely lucky um, to have had that. Yes, I had great um, women bosses, you know, um, the often the leadership... Carla Hendra, you know, um, Shelley Lazarus, Charlotte Beers, um, you know, there were fantastic women sort of, you know, paving the way, um, and let's also face it, like, I didn't really have an idea of how I was supposed to act, right? Like, I didn't know anyone else who worked in advertising. Totally. Like, my parents, or like, parents' friends, like, didn't have anything to give me, and so I really was trying to take cues from just everyone around me, like, I remember showing up at work and being like, 
And now this is how I have to act at work. Like I will wear a suit from Ann Taylor, you know, and like I'm I like I will just be this person who's very efficient and like then after a while I was like, Oh no, I'm just gonna like Wait, no, be this is advertising. myself. Yes. Yeah. But like I really like, you know, I didn't know. Um I still struggle with that, like, you know, finding the right role models and who I should be modeling myself after. It's really tricky. Yeah, well honestly and you know, candidly, especially as sort of a woman in yeah. the industry, right? Like, I, I mean, I, I feel the same way, right? I'm constantly trying to figure out how to calibrate myself when I'm in the office. Like, yes. do, do I just, you know, unleash this fabulous personality? Do or do I... <laughs> totally. Like, or do I have to I, yes, tamp it down? Yes, yes. Um, but Most I think of it's, the time, my, my freak flag is, is fully out there <laughs> just like at way this out stage, there. right? Totally. But um, that has... I, I can reel it in when I need to. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody always has those stories. It's like, you know, the one thing that I would tell anyone that sat at my desk at Turner when they first started was, um, you know, just don't get too drunk at your first holiday party. That is literally the number one piece of advice in advertising. Yes. Um, outside of that, it's, you know, hey, all things go. I mean, that was so was so wonderful. I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, and then we came to the end. Yes. The Joshua yes. Ferris book about, yes, about advertising sort of pre-9-11, right? Of course, yes. Um, but that is a wonderful, I think, representation of what oh, it was like to work absolutely. in this industry then. Absolutely. No, it's extremely accurate. And it is strange when you look back now, like, it didn't happen like it, but, like, you can sort of look at 9-11 as been, like, like it, you know, like, you sort of conflate the, you know, disastrous events along with the bust and, like, you know, and everything else, and you sort of have this sort of crazy, hazy, golden era where nothing was really make, like, making sense, but you were going with it, and then there was the... The abrupt decline. It all coalesced around that same time. But yeah. even I even do think that if you if you look further back than say, let's say 90, 97, 96, 95, yeah. something like that, the economy was still not great yeah. at that time in the nineties. Yes. So it was something that happened about that sort of five year period yes. that we're talking about that made it so fabulous an industry to work in. I, I like I don't I, you know, I can't were, were you also at the double click Willy Wonka party, Jeff? I was not at that party. There were a few that I was at that that blew my mind. Yeah. Um, especially as again a person who came in making in the mid twenty thousands, mm-hmm. trying to scrounge a meal yes. wherever I could get one because conference I had to save my bagels. conference room bagels and three times a day because yes. I had to save my money for the beer that I was going to consume <laughs> on the weekends. Like that was the only yes. was the only way to do that. Um, so you spent twelve years on the agency side. Yes. Twelve golden years, right? 12 great years. Yeah, you know, um, I really learned a lot. I would say, like, towards the end, I I probably stayed longer than maybe was optimal. Um, But when, like, it's your first job, like, I really was like, well, I don't know if I can work anyplace else. Like, which is uh, sort of a dumb, I felt dumb for feeling that way, but I was like, I don't really, like, what if I can only work here? And, like... Know where the bodies are buried, right? Yes, and I was, like, so... I was a baby when I started there, you know? Um... So, yeah, I had a lot of emotion tied up in it. But, yeah, I, I love those those years, and I don't think there's a better place to learn. But, uh, yeah, I probably maybe should have uh, considered some other options before the 12-year mark. Right, <laughs> But it totally. was a fantastic run. And then you get, you get that fateful call from yes, Walker Jacobs. Of course. And so he calls you up and says... Says, you know, I'm putting together this, you know, like, there's this amazing asset here at Turner. They have all these brands that we're going to connect together, you know, for digital. And I want you to come and run integrated marketing. Um, And at that time, I I was looking to get out of the agency side. Like, I just, 
I don't know. You know, I mean, the more senior you get on the agency side, like the for me, the more senior I got, the less I liked the work. Mm, right? Like that's interesting. I really I loved doing the strategy and coming up with the ideas, presenting the ideas, and as I got more senior and was more into like running accounts on the business, I was just like writing scopes of work, mm. then revising the scopes of work, and I was just like, oh, like I, you know. Um, I didn't, you know, I've just never been that good at account management type of work, right? Um, so I just saw that, like, oh, God, like, I was just getting squeezed. Like, you know, the clients had the brands, the publishers and media companies had the audience and their assets. And, like, as an HC, you're in the middle sort of scrambling mm-hmm. to provide value. So so for you, it was either, I mean, essentially what I'm hearing you say is it was either go in-house at a brand and really direct yes. their marketing strategy or go, or to, the media go company. to the media company yes. and find and, the content. Yeah, and, so, and I was really interested in being at a cable company because I liked I wanted to learn video, and I liked having a dual revenue stream. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what they talk about, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. I get half of my revenue from affiliate sales, mm, and I get half yes, of my revenue from ad sales. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so that was great. And, but yeah, I also showed up there and been like, I'm not sure I know how to do this. Like, I'm going to try my best. You know? <laughs> right, totally. And I remember, so I remember actually, and this is going to connect the agency to when you started at Turner <laughs> and when we met, but I remember sort of right when you started at Turner was when you got married, mm-hmm. right? So you like, you had, you and yes. Ben had been dating for however long and you sort I, of got married and that, that yes. was like the... Everything all at once. That's right, which like is my, my life. It's yeah. only one way to do it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I, I worked at Turner for like eight days, then got married and went on a honeymoon and then came back. <laughs> totally. Which was pretty perfect because I like I, I had an excuse for like not remembering people's names. Like, <laughs> hi, yeah, I met you, but that was in the before time. Like, yeah, yes. that was before I yes. went off to my honeymoon and yes. took care of everything. <laughs> so, and this is one thing that when we were prepping for this that I... I I had on my list of things I wanted to talk to you about because I always think of so Ben, chief digital officer, is OMD? Is that chief, what he is? He's chief investment officer. Chief investment officer. Yes, at OMD. At OMD, right? So he's this gigantic job, and you have this really fantastic job. You had a great job at, at Turner, obviously, and you know your CMO here at Open Slate, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But like, so you guys have are both sort of very high powered folks in your respective industries. Like, what is Thanksgiving like in your house? <laughs> like. Do you guys, are you, well, let me ask that a little bit less flippantly. Yeah. Are you, how good are you at separating what it is you do during the day versus what it is that you do at home with your kids and oh, in we, your life? We talk about work very, very little. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I, mean, I mean, it comes up, obviously, you know, you ask sure. what the other person's day is, right? Um, and I definitely had to learn at some point, and you could ask Ben on a future podcast mm-hmm. how good I am at this. Um, but I'm like, going to hold you know, him to that. Yeah, or at exactly. least I'll hold you yes, to that. Yes. Um, you know, it's like if he's describing, you know, something, a challenge or something that happened during the day, and like I have to think, like, does he want me to just listen or actually to provide advice and feedback? Because I have thoughts, you know? Mm-hmm. On, yeah, don't we all? Yes. On, on, on many of these things, and most of the time is not the time for... Um, consultative feedback um you know it's, it's just the listening time but sometimes it is right um but i mean we just we don't really talk about work um that's probably a good thing right uh, yeah, for the I most part so. yeah i think so um you know i think that's part of i think what drew us together is like we met at the imedia summit oh that's so funny in palm springs in december <laughs> 2005 um and i think like you know, um, yeah, and actually, uh, we were the only two people who, like, one afternoon of programming didn't look good, and so we asked someone to, I think Ben asked someone to take us to Joshua Tree, 
And the other woman was like, well, let me see if anyone else wants to go. And it was me, the only other person that wanted to go. And as we were driving from Palm Springs to Joshua Tree, before we even got to the park, this woman um, was like, oh, the two of you should date. And at that point, I wanted to sort of like hide. Yeah, like curl up in a ball. What a weird, what a weird thing to say. I was like, (laughs) people are so weird. Very, very weird. We'll tackle Um, that on our people are weird podcast. Yes, people are weird. Um, But uh, yeah, the... Uh, we actually have a lot of other interests and I don't know I mean I have a great job I you know like it's given us a great life and it's so much fun you know um, we have so many friends in the business but there's so much more to life than advertising so we don't so, talk about work that much and that's amazing and so you guys are both I mean this is a good springboard to you know you guys are super into art um, and then big supporters of the public like we talk about yes. you and I talk about theater yes. all the time even if it's sort of primarily virtual <laughs> yeah, um, okay. conversations yes, like, um, part but, of our Instagram yeah, so, yeah. and you guys so you, I mean theater all this what is it that was what's, what is it that's appealing to you because I know you're sort of a big supporter of the public yeah. generally so what's appealing to you about that as a medium for expression um, so I think so I never used to be that into live theater um actually like ben was really into it when we met and i remember being like what like this guy's really into theater like what's that about um i think some of it had to do with like having kids and like not wanting to like when you have the babysitter like you value that time more. yeah um, so it's not let's just go out and have a meal it's let's go out and do something movie, interesting right? yeah something interesting but uh, honestly um so uh to me, it's deeply relaxing to be in, in an environment that we're like, where someone else has sort of made a lot of decisions, and they're showing you something, and they're providing a sort of point of view. Um, I think, like, to me, a lot, like, the best theater is sort of like an exercise in, in building and experiencing empathy, um, and uh, it's just nice to be totally immersed in someone else's world um, and sort of see what that experience is um, and all the different ways they can realize that. Um, I think, you know, I mean, weirdly, and I don't think about, like, connecting theater and work a lot, but, like, I mean, marketing is, like, a lot of understanding human behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, like, almost know? primarily, I would, yes, I would you suggest. Know? Yeah. Um, and so theater is a, a wonderful sort of, um, orthogonal way into that yeah. um, in a lot of ways but yeah it's just nice to sort of see what someone else creates and I just love also that it's like it's there in that moment and it's never the same twice and you know um, <laughs> I feel like I'm writing grief and I'm like I value real experience I value experiences <laughs> over the things Jeff well it's so funny too, too because when I talk to when I talk to Mike Lawler mm-hmm. in the last podcast one of the things that he said that he loves is what why this is interesting to me. One of the things that he said he loves about going to a restaurant is that every time you go, theoretically the meal you're having, the physical food comes out of the kitchen the same. That's what's like the operational challenge of running a restaurant. But what's really interesting about theater is that it's actually not. It's manifestly not. Almost by definition, it's it's a totally different experience regardless of when you go. Um, Because I know people who've seen shows that I've seen that come out of it going, I was completely wowed. The Great Comet is a really good example of that. And I was completely not. Yeah. Um, and so that's what's that's really really interesting. That's a really good point. Yeah. No. Um, plus, it's just it's fun, and I think some of it is also like I just love, I love New York as only a girl from small town Ohio can. You know. <laughs> that's so, right. Theater, art, food, music, all the things. Like I, you're gonna drag me out of here. 
Yeah, it's that Woody Allen Manhattan intro, sort of writ very, very large in real life. Yes, right? absolutely. Thinking whatever you want this about Woody Allen and what was ever in the news about him today, <laughs> okay. right? It's yeah. still my town. It's still my town. This was his town. Um, so you get married. Yes. You get a call from Walker. You start yes. a new job. Yes. And now you're like, all right, where do I even begin to tackle this? So, so in a in the easiest way that you possibly can, talk about your experience at Turner and what was sort of interesting and maybe not so interesting about that. I mean, uh, so it was ever-changing, right? Um, we kept... Constantly. Co- yes. Yeah, so, like, constant... <laughs> I think, like, the term I would use to talk to my team about it, like, to get everyone to calm down. Yeah. Like, well, we're living through a period of rich change, right? <laughs> like, like, what am I yes. saying? But it's true, like, you know, so some of it was just projecting calm, right, because, like, everything was constantly going bananas um, all the time. Uh, new opportunities, new things we would pitch and win, new structures. Mm. Um, that was also a really interesting blend of, like, I inherited a large existing team. Yes. Um, and that was something new for me. Um, and sort of figuring out how best to, to do that, right, which was not like, hey, there's a new sheriff. And, you know, like, totally. has, has that ever worked? At, you know, Never. No, no, no. Ever, like, Maybe in, like, Roadhouse. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's sort of figuring out, you know, the when we had, there were amazing people at Turner. But, yeah, we had to figure out some tricky things. You know, I had people in, in different locations. I had people in Atlanta, people in New York, people who did sports, people who did entertainment, and trying to figure out ways to scale and grow that. And Yeah, it was a gigantic remit. I yes. mean, and frankly, um, because it's the truth and because I know he'll love that we say it about him, like, we had a very, very compelling, very magnetic leader yes. there who wasn't afraid to challenge the existing convention that was that had materialized throughout Turner over the prior ten no, years since it, the acquisitions yes. and stuff. Yes, no, I think that was also uh, crucial, right? And that was a, a fantastic energy, you know, um, that we were all able to sort of like line up and um, you know evangelize um, with that. I think also, you know, uh, Walker is one of my favorite people on earth. Um, I'm very different than Walker. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fair. Right? Yes. Right. You know, but I think that is also a dynamic that worked well right in our partnership um and that he has a certain style and i have a certain style and there's needs for both of them and when you work together well um as we do you can really you know be quite effective in getting you know in in advancing your agenda and getting stuff done um but like yeah you can't have all walkers and you can't have all andreas that's right yeah no i mean (laughs) you say that all the time you have to it's just like (laughs) there is no one personality to rule the world right um and it has to be some sort of really interesting, good, positive partnership, I think, um, which is great. So, you know, that, all of those various incarnations at Turner and all of that change, I mean, ultimately, I think for all of us on some level just got exhausting. Yes, it did. Um, and, yeah, and, and, you know, and listen, I I love that time there. I love those properties Especially towards the end of my tenure, I finally got to work on CNN, which is like a brand that I loved um, so much. And, you know, um, coming up into, you know, an election cycle. And I mean, it was uh, really, really thrilling. Um, but, you know, towards the end, I had a, I had a horizontal job across all the verticals. News, kids, sports, entertainment. Um, and they were reordering back into verticals and I just there wasn't something there for me that at was, scale yeah yeah uh, that was like seemed like a step forward so um, I took some time off 
Which was phenomenal. <laughs> yes, it's funny. So Can't recommend it enough. To have done that as an adult must be something. I, I always tell a story, and you know, with apologies to my wife and children, the best time that I think I really ever had in my life was the six or eight months that I had off between leaving a job at summer camp right after college and <laughs> taking a job at Turner some six months later, yeah. right? Because it was traveling. I bartended, met all these cool, interesting people. I mean, you know, and but to be able to do that with a different set of means yes um at a you know as an adult you know as a yes. real adult yes. with kids and being okay. able to hang out with them all the with time like a, yeah with like a, a mortgage and two kids under the age of five you know um so what did you do you had I you had do, about a year right I, I had actually a little over a year oh wow um so i did so the first thing i did was i actually traveled by myself which i had never really done before and i, I didn't like it wasn't like a big trip because obviously you know kids had kids right um, but I went to Utah and like uh, did a little like retreat and did some hiking and sort of like was just like just gonna clear the head a little bit. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with my kids, which was cool, um, especially you know before they're in school all day long. Um, so that was really amazing. I also kept my childcare so that I was able to do other things, and it felt like I was really getting a break. Um, yeah, because if not. Um, I think if I was, um, you know, if I didn't have any help, I probably would have gone back to work, you know, after a much shorter period of time yeah. than a year plus, mm -hmm. right? Um, and someone that your kids sort of knew and trusted well, exactly, and all of that. Yeah. Yes. Um, but so I took a ton of classes. Um, I took improv um, up until like level three. At Amazing. The oh, that's awesome. Um, and I learned so much from that. Um the primary thing being that I am not good at improv. Like, it's so uncomfortable for Do you feel me. like 90% of the people that go to improv classes on some level realize they're not very good at improv? Uh, yes, but then, like, I, I, you, know, you would progress with a class of people, right? And so I would see people in, like, the 201 I've right? been in a while with. And, like, you know, like, they'd be like, well, yeah, like, let's have a practice group together and meet twice, twice a week at, like, 11 p.m. And I was like, nah, man. Like, I'm going to sleep for yeah. 40 minutes Ex at 11 yes. p.m. Yeah, exactly. I'll have already been in bed yes. for 90 minutes. Yes. Um, you know, but, like, and so, you know, it was interesting. I was still enjoying and learning a lot from the classes, but, like, I was doing it to just sort of push myself and, like, you know, have new experiences and do uncomfortable things. Um, and I was, like, not really going to try to make it in improv. <laughs> and the people who were doing it were getting, like, increasingly serious. Yeah, so I guess and the I was question sort of is, them right? Down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, like, had, they had to come down to my level. They do yeah. a lot of work. Right. What kind of career do you want? Are you moving to LA and doing this full time, or are you yes. finding yeah, your yeah. way back into yes, the and. industry? Yes, yes. And. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Amazing. no, like, I'm someone who's very, uh, I'm very in my head, right? And like the idea that like you know you like you can't plan something in advance. Like you're just supposed to get out there and react to your react to your partner and like that was terrifying to me. Yeah, it's funny. I listened to a podcast with um it was a one of the WTF podcasts with Jason Manzukis mm. who I just find Hey no man. I mean unrelentingly <laughs> hysterical. Love he him. is just wild. But one of the points that he made in, and this must be what people have to be in improv, and one of the points that he made was the only place in his life that he actually feels comfortable is on stage doing improv. It's it's the it's essentially the opposite of how, yes. probably how I would feel yeah. on stage doing that, which I've never done. But uh, I mean, it is it it was very very interesting and fun, deeply uncomfortable for me. Uh, but you know, uh, you know. I mean, I could never quite achieve this because I'm, like, an anxious person. 
Um, but like, you know, the few times where I was somewhat successful at it was like, you really do just have to like empty your mind and just, like, you're just paying attention to the other person and like, you know, like, so it was one of those things I was like, is, is improv like this mindfulness exercise? And I was like, am I going to go write a long post on Medium about this? Yeah. (laughs) Share it around the art comedy world? That's even a thing? That's right. I'm not. And like, yeah, totally. I mean, otherwise, <laughs> hey, then definitely move to LA yeah, and go yes, find that career, right? Yes, totally. Saturday nights at Largo. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, so I did a lot of things like that. Um, I mean, that's great. I, that's just, it's honestly amazing. It's an opportunity that you so rarely get yeah. to have in life, and it, it's sort of just worth it. I mean, like, occasionally you change jobs, and you have a month or something, and that feels like exhaustive, yes. right? Like you got, you know, I had three weeks without my wife and kids. I was working, but I had three weeks yeah. without my wife and kids over the summer. I played golf a couple of times and I was like, this is the best thing that has ever yes. happened to me. I mean, miss you guys, but yes. like, I just played golf twice totally. for the first time in, I don't know how yeah. long. Yeah. Like I got very into flywheel. Yeah. Like, it's ride or die. Yes. I mean, that's the only way to yes, go. Yes, totally. <laughs> uh, you know, and yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, a whole bunch of fitness friends. I was like, you always used to wonder, like, who are all these people? Like, who are out at noon? Yes. yes, and like exercising at ten a.m. I'm like, no, like I know where they are now. Totally. Like, you know? Yeah, you have a whole friend set of those have, people. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, my my husband always laughs. Is like, you're like, who are you interacting with? I'm like, well, no, these are like my improv actory friends. Like, <laughs> you know, over here, they like, you know, like who are all these like very buff women? Like, no, that's my fitness friends. You know, like, <laughs> like, um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes. And, you know, they right. can, yes, sometimes they intersect. There's intersectionality. I could see that. People who are things. home kind of all day yeah, exercising may schedules. improv, yes, too. Yes, you find some funny people, too. Um, but, yeah, I just tried to do a lot of stuff that I didn't get to do. I read a lot of books, hung out with my kids. I saw so much theater. Yeah, I mean, that that's yes. the time to do it, right? <laughs> yes. So give me, I'm going to put you on the spot here, yeah. give me the open slate elevator pitch sure what's the 30 second rundown on what you guys do here totally uh so we think about the nature and quality of content right so for years and years you know advancements in advertising have been about audience and how do i get to that person um you know with as much detail and as much as limited weight as waste as possible leveraging data and programmatic and all these wonderful things um which is very very valuable um, but what that tends to do is make people th- forget about content and context and the where of where your ad is running. And so we think a lot about where your ad runs and how that impacts your message and your performance. So one of the things that's resulted in is us having solutions for brand safety on YouTube, mm. um, which has been a little bit of a hot topic um, over the past year. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of a hot topic. So yeah, you know, um, we're able to help advertisers avoid content that they find unsafe or unsuitable and then find more of the content that they really want to be around. And so what was sort of most appealing about that to you as someone yeah. who, who sort of worked here? Was it was it Mike? I mean, he seems like a great guy, really strong oh, leader. Yeah. Well, um, definitely there's some of that, right? Like uh, Mike Henry, our CEO, I've known him for 20 years. I used to buy banner ads uh, <laughs> for, he used to work at the Wall Street Journal, so Amazing. I bought a lot of banner ads for IBM um, from him back in the day. And our president, Brian Quinn, is someone else who I've known for about that long, and Carlos Restrepo. I mean, so I really have known um, these folks for a very long time, which is a huge a part of the appeal. Um, I guess, well, actually, as I was leaving Turner, there was talk more about, you know, they were sort of building up their data practice and their data products, and I just wanted to learn that part of the business. Um, 
So, I don't know. I think it was the intersection of, like, you know, it was data relating to video mm-hmm. and social video in particular, and that was an interesting problem to me. Um, I was also very interested in working at a startup. Like, I'd only ever worked at massive companies. Yeah. Um, and I, you know... I thought a lot about what my next move was going to be after taking time off, and I wanted to be someplace where I could have real impact on the business. That was sort of pointing me towards a startup. Um, But yeah, I also liked that it was data, but it's data about content, because I have always been a content person, right? Like, that is just what moves me. um, And that was a big part of the value prop. That was a big part of Walker's value prop, oh, right? Of was that um, you know he always he always I talk about this all the time actually was um, the fallacy of limitless supply, yes. right? That like supply is only as good as the supplier, um, uh, and so that's a lot. It sounds like of what yes. you guys are working on here. Well, that's it. And, you know, um, you know, certainly when you're YouTube or Facebook Watch or you know like your value prop is you need to be the platform for the world's content. And everyone needs to have the promise of becoming that sort of breakout creator or, you know, being able to monetize this cool stuff that you're creating. Um, But I would say, you know, for a marketer, you don't actually need to support every creator out there. There's a different criteria for what, you know, your brand wants than what YouTube thinks. Um, Well, especially on a social site. Right, well, especially yes. once it leaves your O and O, and you sort of lose control of the distribution. Well, and that's it. But that's where so, that's where it all is. Like you know, that's the other thing that's just been um, incredible is that you know there's there is actually scarcity of inventory at you know a Turner or an NBC. Like there there is you know, you can't get enough of that the premium stuff that people sells at a really high CPM, but all the viewership. Especially if you want video like, if you want people in a video environment with a video ad, it's pretty much all on YouTube. Like yeah. that's the biggest struggle. You certainly you buy your Hulu, like you know, you, like you know, there's there's other places you go, but the vast majority of, of usage is just there. Yeah, people are watching it. I mean, I would suggest over the top somehow. Yes. A lot of it on YouTube. Yes. Um, Hulu. On your Roku device, yes, all of your totally. native stuff like that. But like, yeah, but the, again, like, but again, like, once it leaves O and O, yeah, yeah, once it leaves O and O, I mean, and there's just the usage is just massively insane, and it is so different from television. It's so different from what most people think of as video content, and there is some of it that is like really premium and a great place to to advertise other stuff that like you know doesn't it just doesn't feel like something that a most clients or you even ad buyers are that familiar with. So there's also a process of education, like what does good look like when it doesn't necessarily look like what you think of as TV or video? Yeah, 100%. So, yeah. I mean, we think about that all the time yes. at Free Will. You know? it's, it's a massive, massive thing yes. that sits on top of everything. And then ultimately also when you talk about an environment like YouTube where there's so little transparency and you take you lose so much control uh, when you port your content over there, yeah. that how are you how are you using something like this to keep control over what it is that people are watching? Well, yeah, I mean, so there are different various um, different varieties of control based on what product you're buying. Mm-hmm. So if you're transacting in the auction, YouTube has always told you exactly where your ad ran. Um, but 
when uh, the average $100,000 ad buy runs on around 250,000 videos. Mm -hmm. So um, if you really want to say, okay, where do my ad get? Like imagine getting uh, an Excel spreadsheet that has like alphanumerics and it's like 250,000 lines. Oh, forget it. So the the data was there. It's not like they didn't give it to you, but it was in such granularity that it was opaque. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, yes, exactly. So, you know, we have software that understands, okay, what are the attributes of all those videos and data that correlates that. So the channel is, okay, well, you ran on a video that was about um, dogs and holidays. <laughs> is that really where you want your video? Maybe well, it, it is. Might it it, might it absolutely totally might be. You know, like that, that, that actually, that Maybe if you're milk great, bones, right? That could be, a, yeah, it could be a, a great place. Um, it is, you know, it is, we see all sorts of interesting things. Uh, but yeah, uh, music for pets is a large category. <laughs> music for pets. Music for pets. Yeah, music. Uh, music for your stressed out pot billy pig. That's amazing. Was a recent uh, top performer. There are some really also like every once in a while, my my son will fall down a YouTube hole. Mm-hmm. And he winds up in this area, and I can't, for some, I don't know how he gets there, I don't know what it is, he winds up in this area where it is, I'm not kidding, it's adults unwrapping, like, toys, yes. and then playing with them. Yes. And yes. that's the entire genre. Yes. yes. And it's tra- it massive. is transfixing. It but... is a, that is a massive genre. Quite often the adults have uh, fancy nail art. Uh, no, my daughter watches it too. I have a five-year-old daughter. Um, she watches grown-ups play with whatever Shopkins. And... I can't decide whether I find it incredibly creepy or ingenious guerrilla marketing. <sighs> it's probably both. <laughs> um, it, it, I guess everything on, is. Yes, both. it's on. It's on a spectrum there. I mean, I don't know. I know my daughter finds it um, extremely addictive. Um, I limit how much she gets to watch. I, you have to. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, and you, you. I hope you have YouTube kids. I do have YouTube yes. kids, which makes it a little bit easier. But they uh, still find their no, way no, out. No, no, I, no, I, I don't agree. They, yes, no. They, there is, there is a ton of that, and yeah. The, and look at the viewership on it. Sometimes it just it's massive. Millions, and millions, and millions massive. of views. Yes, it is unbelievable. Know, catnip. It's so funny. All right, I have one last question, and let's see how good your memory is. So a couple of years ago, I posted on Facebook, give me the name of a song that reminds you of your freshman year. I'm only asking you this because I'm going to use this specific song to kind of play us in and then play us out when I do the intro and the closing a little bit later. But it was one, and I'll give you a hint if after you take a minute to think, but it was um, it was a song that you chimed in on my Facebook uh, status and you put a song in there. As You know, I probably got 40 yeah. or 50 responses no, on that. I'm trying to think of freshman year. Year. So it's a, and this will probably give it to you at least I assume, just so we're not sitting here for yeah. five minutes trying yeah. to be finished. So it's a, it is a PJ Harvey song. Oh, uh, hmm. Would it have been dry or dress? No. Oh, my lover. No. Oh, Got it's too, one? too late. Yeah. Uh, maybe from like the four track demos. Yeah, or... <laughs> it's Sheila and a gig. Sheila and a gig is the one that you that okay. you put out there. So that's I gonna. I love PJ Harvey. Well, who doesn't? But yes. that will that will play us in and play us out. That's and fantastic. Thank you for taking the time you to sit down, especially <laughs> <laughs> especially in the middle of the work day. I know that's always hard, Anytime. but I appreciate it. Thank of you course. so much. And that's the show for today. Thanks again to Andrea Ching for sitting down to chat with me. That was a lot of fun. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast OKSO. And right now, you can listen to PJ Harvey take us home with a bit more of Sheila Nagig. Thanks, as always, for joining us on OKSO. Okay
to me.